Welcome to Heartside Chats. This is Dr. Chelsea Wakefield in conversation with my friend, Lisa Stutzman Graves. And we are talking about all things related to life, love, and the pursuit of consciousness. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy. Hey, Chelsea, how have you been? I've been good. Good to see you, Lisa. Yeah, you too. I'm so excited to talk about Chapter 11. 11, Labyrinth of Love, about communication. And, uh, you know, I'm one of these people that thinks in song and song lyrics. And for some reason, when I started reading this chapter again, because I've probably read it five times now, uh, I started thinking about that Beatles song, All You Need Is Love. And then I thought, well, really what you need is love and communication. And they should have written the song about that. (laughs) That is, it is so true. It is so true. And communication is really tough because even if we know how to communicate well, often we've got so much emotion going on that it's hard to put, to to think rationally when we're in this tsunami of feeling. And so that's, it takes an incredible amount of emotional maturity and practice with people to not only just speak cleanly and clearly and and actually to be in touch with what you really, what's really going on and what you want, but to listen to the other person. And trying to realize if you're being triggered or if this is something in you or where they're coming from. There's just so many elements to consider, especially when you're in conflict. Uh, I would encourage everybody based on what I've read in your book, it's just to slow down and pause and be sensitive and thoughtful, especially when you feel something escalating. Um, I know in your book you talk a lot about John Gottman's work. Do you want to go over that with everybody and explain some more about conflict and communication? Sure. So John Gottman is a really wonderful couples researcher. He's done a lot of research on what makes relationships work and last And he identified four communication dynamics that really destroy connection and understanding and ultimately really lead to the demise of a relationship. He calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, You know, very dramatic title. And the four horsemen, uh, which could also be horsewomen, uh, are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And by stonewalling, he's talking about this thing that people do where they just refuse to talk about something anymore. They go behind a stone wall and they're not reachable. Conversation is over. Nothing you say is going to affect me. I'm gone. And usually these horsemen, horse people, they, they ride together. So in other words, if we are in a relationship where we're doing a lot of criticizing, the other person can get very defensive because nobody wants to be on the receiving end of a torrent of criticism. And when we're treating someone with contempt, which is really an escalation above criticism, criticism usually has to do with specific things. You know, why didn't you do this? I don't like it when you did that. If you would only this, things of that sort, you know, then we get into what's wrong with you or how could you, or what kind of a person are you? Or even, you know, it's like, were you raised in a barn? Um, (laughs) These kind of comments that people begin to make when they're talking down to the other person. They're not just complaining, they're talking down and diminishing that person, degrading the person. And usually that will end up with the other person eventually hiding behind a wall 
because they it's it's really disturbing to be talked to in that way. And these kinds of things, particularly criticism and defensiveness, uh, they go on all the time in a relationship. And one of the things I emphasize is that if there's something that's going on in your relationship that you don't like, figure out what you want instead. And if you're gonna comment on something, end it with, I would really appreciate it if you could do the following, that would help me. Do you think you could do that? And ask nicely, but be clear about it. Um, this last week, it seemed I had you know a steady stream of people who were doing what I'm calling case making, which means they had all these complaints about the relationship and many, many examples for how the other person was failing them or what the other person was doing wrong, lots of examples. And I, when people do that, I stop them and I say, well, so what is it that you wanted? What do you want instead? And many times they don't know. They've not even thought about it. They're just complaining. I think that I don't know what they expect that the other person is supposed to magically understand what to do instead. And also when you, when you tell someone, there's another thing that couples do. Sometimes someone will say, um, he or she is not listening to me. And what they really mean is they're not doing what I want. So they're complaining and they're demanding something and the other person's not doing it. Therefore, they're not listening. Well, listening and doing what the other person wants is two different things. That's two different things. So, you know, that's the beginning point of a conversation is if, if I say to you, it really bothers me when you, I don't know, leave dirty dishes all over the house or when you, when I, you know, I fix a dinner and you don't come home till an hour later and when it's ready and you don't call, or it really bothers me, um, you know, when we go to a party and you drink too much or, you know, all that kind of thing that both men and women do with their partners. Um, we went out to dinner last night and you monopolized the conversation or you embarrassed me in public, or, you know, there's just things that people are very upset about. And, you know, I think you were too hard on the kids, or you're too soft on the kids, or you're spending too much money, or it just goes on and on and on. Why did you bring the car home with an empty gas tank? And, you know, and you're loading the dishwasher wrong. <laughs> Everybody knows how to load a dishwasher and you're not doing it. Um, so it's not about the dishwasher. It's about a lot of other things. And it's hard for us to get at what it's really about. And sometimes what it's really about can be a very strong feeling about something that has built up over time. And that's why we give examples. But it's still not, could you possibly do this instead? A lot of times people just, they just never get to that. I think this would be, be a great point to jump in there and talk a little bit about eye language. Yes. And this is a basic protocol that if people would just follow this one thing, it will change everything. It was a life changer for me. Absolutely. So try not to start a complaint or an argument using the sentences beginning with you. You did this. You always do this. You never do this. You were thinking this when you did that. You were intending this. This is what you meant by that. Um, lots of you, you, you statements will always evoke defensiveness. Even if you just start that, 
when you did that, this is the impact it had on me. So we're kind of back into that intention and impact thing. Uh, because sometimes people have good intentions, but they have negative impact on the person and they don't intend it to have negative impact, but it does and they don't even realize it or why. So saying, you know, I am having a really hard time here with this thing that's going on between the two of us. Or, I'm having a really hard time with how you're loading the dishwasher or I'm having a really hard time with whatever. And then making a request, just saying, I'm struggling with this. Could you? Not you need to. Yeah, a therapist years ago uh, said it this way to me and it stuck in my head. Say what you notice, what you feel and what you want, all using the word I, not you. Yep. Excellent. Yep. What you notice. So this is what I observed or this is what I noticed. When I noticed that, it caused me to feel uncared for or I started to think you're turning me into a maid or your mother or something like this. And then I got feelings of resentment and I would like to request that you do such and such. Yeah, it's much better. It's much less likely to evoke defensiveness. Now, even if you say, I, I get the feeling that, so this is what's also interesting is like people would, will say things like, I feel like you're trying to turn me into your maid. That's actually not a feeling, that's a thought. <laughs> and I, I am continually interrupting people and saying, now that's a thought, not a feeling. Um, and people can also turn this, they can turn it around and actually turn a criticism into an I language by think, saying things like, I think you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope they don't use it that way. I think you're selfish. <laughs> not you're selfish. I think you're, I feel you're selfish. No, that's a thought. And when you think the thought that the other person is selfish, what do you feel? Well, I feel sad. I feel scared. I feel, then you get to the vulnerable emotions. And you can use, just for our listeners, you can use eye language with many more people other than your partner. I've used it with my son. You can use it with anybody when you need to have a difficult conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You can even use it with the, uh, <laughs> the company that's supposed to show up and repair your washing machine. <laughs> Talk to everybody about, because I had never heard this term until I read your book, Labyrinth of Love. And I think it's just, did you, I, I'm, I'm guessing you created this. I don't know. The no-fly no zone. Yes. That's one of my little creations. So the concept of the no-fly zone is that when people get together, they start to learn about the areas of difference and difficulty that they always get into trouble because they can't figure out what to do when they when they go into those areas. So they start to create what I call a no-fly zone, as in we don't go there. We just don't talk about that. We don't, because we can't seem to resolve anything when we go there. And sometimes, uh, so, and, and these no-fly zones can actually expand over the course of a relationship till it gets to the point where people will say, I can't talk to you about anything without you getting upset or with, without us getting into an argument. And many of the couples that come in to see me in my practice will say, we can't talk about anything without arguing. And so often when I hear that, what, I'm re what I realize is that they're actually in a power struggle. Each of them is trying to get the other person to see their point of view or agree with them 
or respond to them in a particular way. And they're both trying to elicit that out of the, the other person. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes I'll tell people when you're in an unresolvable argument, there are no adults in the room. Yeah. It's just two vulnerable children trying to get the other child to meet their needs. And children cannot meet the needs of another person. And when we're both upset, asking, asking my husband to be different so that I can be okay when he's also dysregulated is not going to work. We've got to both kind of calm down, use our skills to self-soothe, to anchor, to, to take some time to reflect on what it is we're really upset about when we may be arguing over, I don't know, just any number of things that people argue over that they're not, they're not really arguing over that. They're really arguing over when you do that, I feel uncared for, or I don't feel listened to and responded. Um, I feel insecure when you do that. But instead of telling you that when you do that, I feel really threatened and insecure, I'm gonna make a case for why this other person is dangerous or not an okay person. Instead of saying, you know, I would really appreciate it if when you're around this person, you would set these kinds of limits. Um, which can be limits with parents, limits with children, limits with people who are flirting with your spouse, um, just also limits on spending. Um, you know, arguments about money are really arguments. They're not really about money. They're about values. They're about uh, fears of the future, uh, feelings of being out of control, Um just all sorts of things that have, you know, the money is sort of like the recognized issue, but underneath it are all these feelings, all the history of even, you know, with couples, one person's okay with a little bit of debt or a lot of debt and the other person pays cash for everything and came from a house where everything was paid for with cash and, or one person came from a house where money was really an issue and scarce and the other person came from a house where money was never an issue so they don't get upset about spending or, you know, it's, there's so much history behind the things that we get upset about. So the chapter that we're discussing is the chapter on communication. And there is um, a section in there called the who, what, when, why, where, and how. Can you talk to us and let's just start with the who about that. And then we'll kind of go through each one. Okay, great. So when we talk about who, what we're meaning is that we're going back to the metaphor of the inner cast of characters. So we all have an inner cast of characters, a series of subpersonalities, and each one of those subpersonalities has a particular emotional state, agenda, set of needs and wants, way of operating in the world. So my inner child operates very differently than my responsible mother or my accomplished professional. Uh, so we have to be aware of who is speaking in us. So oftentimes when we're upset about something, we're actually in one of our vulnerable children. And in front of that vulnerable child might be a more articulate case maker who's trying to convince the other person with reasons why they should do something or why the other person is wrong or why the other person did something bad or harmful or insensitive or whatever. And really what the problem is that the vulnerable child is feeling upset 
and threatened. Often, it, you know, you can kind of think of any time you're upset, there's a vulnerable child that's activated. So, so what I'm talking about there is that we have complexes that get activated. And when I talk about the who, we could think about this in archetypal terms, in terms of the roles and the titles. Like when I talk about the, the vulnerable child as an archetype, the mother, the critical mother, the nurturing mother, those are two archetypes. The, you know, the loving wife is an archetype. The responsible professional is an archetype. Um, the, uh, the free spirit is an archetype. You know, these are the arguments that we get into where we were going to clean out the garage on Saturday, but it's a beautiful day. Let's go hiking instead. And the other person says, no, <laughs> we planned on cleaning the garage. We're going to clean the garage, but it's a beautiful day. We should enjoy the day. No. <laughs> and now we're off to the races with an argument about whose, whose worldview is going to rule the day. Well, let's go on to what. And I, and I love in your book, and I never really thought about this, but you just have a way of really saying, using the words to describe what's going on in a way that I've never read before. But I love when you say um, some people stir up so much anxiety about what they're about to say that when they finally speak, all their partner can hear is the anxiety. Yes. And so in another, in, in the communication world, we would call that the meta message. So there's words traveling over, but there's also emotion traveling with the words Two different levels. The words are traveling. The emotion is traveling. And I'm thinking about um, a man that I was, he and his wife were trying to work through some sexual difficulties. And he would get so anxious about wanting to initiate sex that by the time he finally did it, he was either sounding angry or demanding or like a, you know, scared little kid or a teenage boy. And all of those were huge turnoffs for her. So, but he was so anxious about trying to initiate sex. And oftentimes people will have small complaints. Another metaphor is how we sweep things under the rug. Um, little things that bother us swept on the, under the rug, then another one, then another one. And eventually we get a very bumpy rug. And so then the, the tension builds up. Another metaphor would be like a volcano builds up, 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 up. And then there's an explosion. And there's a lot of anger about one little thing that happened, but it's actually the previous 20 that all built up because they weren't addressed in the moment. You know, something along the lines of, could you, could you clear off the tail, you know, the, the end of the counter when you get a chance? Um, just little tiny requests where it's, it's so often, a lot of this has to do around things like um, picking up the house where one person has a different standard than the other person of what neat or picked up or clean looks like. Um, I'm thinking about that couple I worked with many, many years ago. Um, he was an architect and she was a free spirit and she also had really bad ADHD. And so Aww. he would come home and she would have left a paper towel and some carrot peelings on the counter and it would just send him into a spin and in the meantime, something would have happened and she had run out and started feeding the goats and doing various things out in the garden and just had never gotten around to cleaning up the counter. And he could not understand what that was about in this incredible house that he had designed and built. 
And he, he just took it so personally as if it was an affront to the thing that he most valued and didn't understand, you know, this is such a small thing, why can't you do it? And they would get into huge arguments over this. And she was like, I'm sorry, but I just got distracted. And, you know, it's not, I don't leave those things in the counter just to upset you. It just, I get distracted. And they just had huge arguments over that. And not a lot of compassion or perspective taking for her. Like, why would he get so upset about, you know, like a paper towel and some carrot peelings? Um, Well, he gets upset because for him, this is his world and this house represents, like it's a, it's a symbol of himself. And he didn't understand that she literally didn't have the capacity to track these little things, you know, that she was constantly being distracted by things that needed to happen. And, and then going outside and saying, oh, the sunshine, oh, there's weeds in the garden, um, you know, and... Uh, oh, I forgot to do this. And the kinds of things that people who have attention problems, just they just go from one thing to the next without finishing the previous. For our listeners, I am you can't see me, but I am grinning so widely because uh, the woman that you're describing, Chelsea, sounds a little bit like me because I work from home and I'll get all siloed in what I'm doing with work and then I'll forget to unload the dishwasher or put stuff in the dishwasher or probably big carrot on the counter. And, you know, my husband's a landscape architect. So, yes, you know, so I, I can so feel what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And I, I feel for both of those people and for you and your husband and for me and mine. And I, I'm so grateful that Tom and I have equal levels pretty much equal levels of mess that we can tolerate <laughs> we we're kind of really close together i'm a little bit more of a neat nick i could like i have a level of tipping where i'm like oh my gosh we got to clean this whole place up um but we're both a little bit relaxed about that and i'm always amazed by people who have perfectly picked up houses they seem to have a gift and a talent that i don't possess i have other gifts and talents but not that one um This morning, I went around the house and I picked up um, three jackets of mine that were hanging on the backs of chairs and um, four pairs of shoes (laughs) that were like scattered around the house and put them all away. But I think they'd been there for at least a week. So, um, you know, I get around to things. But uh, in a a different marriage, that would be a big issue. The fact that I leave this on the back of the dining room chair. I love where you say in the book, and you had mentioned this a little bit earlier, that how important it is for you to get clear about what you want in a relationship or if something is bothering you. And then to give it to your partner with eye language in plate-sized portions. Don't give them everything at once. And pick your, pick your timing. Yes. So you, you just listed a bunch of really important things. And the first is before you start complaining take a little time to figure out what it is that you want instead. Get solution-oriented. Yeah. You know, I don't want this. What I'd like is this. Is this possible? And when you deliver it fairly in a level manner without a lot of hostility attached or a lot of anxiety attached that is also traveling across and landing in your partner's nervous system, they're much more likely to be responsive. So get clear on what you want instead before you start complaining. And, and see if you can ask in a way that get in the habit in the relationship of not having to escalate before your partner hears you. 
And if that's a pattern, then talk about it. Say, you know, we get into these really heated arguments and it doesn't feel good for me. I don't like the way we talk to each other. I don't like the way I talk to you. I don't like how I feel after it. Can we switch up? Can we change? Can we improve so that we don't do that anymore? And I'll be responsible for getting clear on what I want to ask for and realizing that just because I ask for it doesn't mean you have to give it to me. Sometimes you might need a reason, but not always. And um, then we can have a more mature conversation and be better communicators. I'd like to really up-level our communication. So that's the what. And then plate-sized portions refers to how sometimes when people are upset, they go on and on and on. And the other person has since just, you know, they've left the room. They're no longer listening. They're just, you know, they're just shut down. And you might want to, everyone might want to just kind of check across and see if the other person is still listening when they're talking and they're not just doing a monologue. Um, Plate-sized portions mean just give a little bit of information and then pause. And then the next one is why. And I love this. Um, I'm going to just quote directly from your book. When two people want two different things, it is an invitation into discovery, not a power struggle. Many times if you let a reactive partner percolate on something, they have a chance to sort it out themselves and a follow-up conversation will be far more productive. And that's part of when you talk elsewhere in the book about doing an archaeological dig on your partner. Mm -hmm. That all fits in so beautifully, the way you worded that. Yeah, so trying to discover why this matters so much to them. If it seems like a small thing, don't be dismissive. Find out why it matters so much. When people feel understood, they feel loved. When they feel dismissed, they don't feel loved. And so, yes, just spending some time understanding not just what we seem to be arguing about, but I really believe this. It can take a while to figure out why we are so upset about something. Um, This week, I got into a little tangle with my husband about something, and it took me about two days to figure out because I kept wondering, I know we were not having a little tussle about what we were talking about. I know that. But I got a little more escalated than I like to be about that. And I had to really think about what was it that was really bothering me. And it took me a while, but then I finally located it. And this morning over coffee, we we were talking about that in a very calm manner. Um, And it was, I was able to make an apology because I was clear about what I really wanted. And he and he did a great job of listening and validating and being sensitively responsive to that because we weren't talking about what we were had. It was a little argument, but this little back and forth that we were in the other day, we weren't talking about that. We were talking about what was underneath it. So this archaeological dig that we have to do Uh, Why does this matter? Why am I so escalated about this? What's it really about for me? And then can I report back to you, my husband, my partner, my love, about what that was so that you can understand more about me and what I'm struggling with that would cause me to become so defensive? And for our listeners out there, 
and I think Chelsea would agree with this, you know, when you do things like the archaeological dig, it's so crucial to your relationship and to, and it benefits all your relationships. But, you know, if you don't want to do that kind of work, then guess what? You get to go through a similar experience with another person until you get it right. Mm-hmm. Or just a lot of circular arguments. We don't talk a lot about dreams in this podcast, but for our listeners, I am a longtime deep dream worker. And um, so recently I had this dream where I was house sitting and suddenly all these little children showed up that the, I mean, I was like house sitting, but the parents had left the kids behind too. And they were all lining up in their pajamas. (laughs) four of them. And uh, suddenly I realized I was responsible for the children too. And I hadn't quite planned on that. So, uh, you know, in in just sort of exploring my dream states, uh, particularly with this whole thing about this argument that we got into about it'll be okay. No, it won't because the reason that it's okay is because I handle it. Um, and, and the whole thing about feeling taken advantage of and, you know, it, the, the perfect response would have been, tell me more about why you're feeling anxious about this or frustrated about that. That would have been nice. Then I could have complained a little bit, about, not about him, but about something else. And he could have kind of done his, oh, you, you know, poor baby, I, that's, that's tough to go through. It's very frustrating. And I would have felt better. And then I would have, you know, <laughs> gone off to work. But it went in a different direction. But it's like, that's that's my little kids inside. You're kind of like, Who's taking care of us? <laughs> in the dream, those children represented the different parts of yourself inside? Yeah, yeah. Some Sometimes I have little kids inside that don't feel taken care of. I do oh. a lot of taking care of other people in my life and being the adult in the room. And one of the things I said to him as I was heading off to work that day is, this is my little kid talking. When do I get to have a bad day? <laughs> when do I get to behave childishly? <laughs> do I always have to be the perfectly relating, emotionally regulated person who's responsible and mature? And, you know, so that that's, you know, that's my little kid inside talking. I love this in the book also uh, where you talk about, and I've, I've never done this, and I'm going to be intentional about doing this is having the I want to understand you more deeply conversation. Yeah. That is beautiful. Well, again, that is when when we get to a level of relating, and um, that's why the conversation that Tom and I had this morning, my husband and I this morning over coffee, was to me so beautiful, so lovely, so healing, so bonding, was my having reflected on what was going on with me the other day. And to talk more deeply about that and for him to really listen and to actually get to to express support for a growing up dimension that I'm doing in my own life. I mean, I may be a way far adult, but I'm still growing up. Everybody's always just still growing up because we've got these little kids inside. We have these little kids inside and they have needs. And for many people who are very adult, very responsible, they often neglect the needs of these little kids inside, which is why the dream that I had the other day was kind of important. It was signaling me that. Thank you so much for sharing that and being vulnerable and sharing that. I know that I was in a dream group for many years 
years ago, and it was profound what you can discover when you're sleeping and you pay attention to signs and symbols in your dreams. So that's very sweet. Yeah. It's like, oh, the little kids have shown up. <laughs> what is it I need to be attending to here? These little kids have shown up. So, yes. And we'll finish up with how. Uh, and you talk about two forms of communication under how. Do you want to talk to us about those? The how has to do with circling back to curiosity, being in true curiosity. And and also what we're going to talk about in the, the next level capacity, which is compassion, when we can reach a state of compassion. And when we do those talking to understand, revealing to be understood at a very deep level, uh, that's those are very intimate, very bonding conversations. And when we communicate clearly without criticism and contempt, clearly we ask for what we want, not a demand, but a request. We're willing to go back and forth about why this matters to me, why it matters to you. I really want to understand. I'm deeply curious, sincerely curious about why this matters so much to you. And it's if it's different from me, I'm going to allow for that because you and I are separate beings and I can't expect you to be the same as me or for things to work the same over there in your universe, in your country, as they do over here in my universe, my country. I want to cross the bridge into your world and understand, and I hope that you'll cross the bridge into mine. And then we can meet. We can yeah. meet. Yeah. So speaking in I language, being clear. Um, any other thoughts from the book about that that you were thinking about? No, but I'm excited for our next podcast because we're going to dive deeper into communication. We broke it up into two pieces because we didn't want to overwhelm you all at once. But I do want to remind our listeners that Chelsea loves questions. So please send questions to heartsidechats at gmail.com. And also you have uh, another Luminous Woman coming up. And if you want to find out more about that, they can go where, Chelsea? To my website, chelseawakefield.com. Um, I also have a, a little book that is going to be posted. I don't know if I, it, it'll be up by the time this podcast comes up. And it is a love capacities quiz. Oh. So you can take the love capacities quiz and uh, find out where you are on the six love capacities. How, how much have you developed each of them and where might be some areas of personal work so that you can really take your, your relationship to a higher level. And the love capacities quiz will be on your website? Yep. Yeah, it'll be, it'll actually be a pop-up. Oh, okay, great. Well, thank you, Chelsea. I always enjoy talking with you, and I can't wait to talk more about communication because I know I personally need it. Yep, we all can grow. We can all learn and grow, that's for sure. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of Heartside Chats. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating. That will help to elevate the podcast so that others can benefit from the content. If you have a relationship question or would like to communicate thoughts and feelings about anything we talked about today, consider sending us an email at heartsidechats at gmail.com. I also have a public Facebook group you can join called Heartside Chats. Thanks for listening.